Hey, welcome to the Church of 1122. I don't mean this as irreverent as it sounds, but our baptism videos kind of sound like the beginning of a joke sometimes, don't they? It's like a teenager, an alcoholic, and a Jew walking to a church. I mean, that's kind of what it's like. Right? Isn't that great? It's so good, though. I know that sounds bad, but get over it. So, because we're a movement for all people, all kind of people, old people, young people, where you're from, I don't care, you're here. So that's the kind of church we are, a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're all about. And since we're a movement for all people, it looks like all the people in Jacksonville like to come here. So we got to make room for some more all people, especially at this service. So uh, I need to do a couple things. Um, I need for many, many of you over the next several weeks to give our video venue a try. It's right through those doors right there. It's the sanctuary. It's the same exact sermon that you're hearing right now. At it. But I'm six foot two over there. It's really awesome. All right. I'm, I'm very proud of that. Uh, same, live band, awesome worship, same songs and all that, okay? Love for you to go there. Um, or our 522 service, and those of you at 522, thank you, thank you, thank you. But we need a bunch of y'all to move to 522, and I know some of you are like, eh, you know what, I don't know, it's afternoon. Look, go to the beach in the morning, go to the Jaguars game, and if, you, if, you, if you're a little post-tailgating from the Jaguars, we'll accept you into 522. We're a movement for all people, okay? You don't have to be afraid of that. If you're staff, don't do that, but if you're, just, if you're not... Then, you know what I'm saying. So we, we need a lot of that kind of movement for the sake of the people next year that will be telling their story uh, about how they met Jesus here. So it's up to us to make room for them. Um, also, this Tuesday, we have elder-led prayer. It kicks off our Daniel fast in preparation for Saturated, our yearly revival. So I know elder-led prayer doesn't sound that exciting. You know, somebody on staff was like, it sounds like a bunch of monks going, oh, it's not that, Okay. Um, we've got legit old guy elders. It's a God's blessing upon us. That's a compliment. If you're old, we think you're awesome at the Church of 1122. That's just what that means. Thank you for being here. And if you're like, I'm not quite old, you've been old for a while. But we love you. You're awesome. You make us like a real church. Thank you. So uh, uh, elder-led prayer is Tuesday, and it, there'll be a time of worship, time of communion, prayer, and to just, just get our hearts heading towards what God will be doing doing in us and through us and to us at Saturated. It also begins our Daniel fast. You just need to go online and see what a Daniel fast is. Look, I was I got saved in a Southern Baptist church, so I'm new to fasting too, okay? In Southern Baptist land, we, we fast from Budweiser and dancing always. That was the eternal fast. But So we weren't really into fasting, but it's a lot in the Bible about fasting. It's an opportunity to tell your flesh no so you can tell Jesus yes. That's all it is. So we're not going to be legalistic about it, but you'll go to our website and you can figure out how to Daniel fast. And then um, lastly, before we get into the text, uh, <clears throat> I know some schools started last week, but by tomorrow I think all the schools are starting. And so if you are a teacher, a coach, or a school administrator, would you please stand up? Like, if you're going to be with kids tomorrow and they have to pay you to do that, would you please stand up, okay? All right, stand up. And stay up, stay up, stay up. All right, now, whoo, okay, listen, listen, stay up. We're going to pray for you, and if this makes you feel awkward, get over it. You make your kids do awkward stuff all the time, okay? So, here's the thing I just want to say to you guys. Whether you're at a Christian school or at a non-Christian school, it doesn't, whatever, whatever. Um, you know, a lot of people on talk radio will argue about prayer in school. And here's what we know. As long as you're in school, there's prayer in school because you're praying for those kids. And I want you to know we're praying for you. And regardless of what this government tells you, you can and can't do. I'm not saying hand out gospel tracts in your, in your second grade classroom. But I am saying this. You just be Jesus in your classroom and on your football fields and courts and all of those things, okay? Just be Jesus in those arenas. That the guy that led me to Jesus was not a preacher. He was a football coach. So the amount of influence that God has given you over the this next generation is immense, and you're at a church that loves you and honors you and respects you, and we are praying for you, and we understand that tomorrow you go back into the mission field for another year, and I know it'll be frustrating, I understand, 
but, but his divine power has given you everything you need to do exactly what he has called you to do. And that is to be Jesus, to show the hope and his glory in your classroom by the way you treat those kids and serve those kids and, and the way you treat that administration and all of that. So um, if you're sitting around one of these teachers or coaches or administrators, would you just kind of reach out towards them? And we just want to commission you into the mission field of your classroom and schools for this next year. Dear Father in heaven, God, we pray for these, these administrators and coaches and teachers. God, we know that you have called them into this because most of us, if we had their job, we'd, we'd go to jail. So God, thank you so much that you have equipped them and gifted them and placed them in powerful positions of authority. And God, we pray that they would leverage it for the kingdom. Not in some kind of weird way, God, but just in a way that demonstrates how good Jesus is. The kids and other teachers and administrators would see these teachers and coaches and administrators and say, something's different. Something's different about that one. And, and the difference that these teachers and coaches, the way they would live their lives differently would just point people to you. And we pray it in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, teachers and coaches. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. We're almost finished with this series. Um, it, the series is called Love Incorruptible. It's just been a study of the book of Ephesians. We're covering lots and lots of material in a very short amount of time. Uh, and, and a part of the reason is because I want you to have a, a good understanding of the entire book. And so um, the, you remember that, that Ephesians can just be broken down into, into two parts. The first part is just the gospel. The first half, chapters 1, 2, and 3, are just the gospel. Chapter 1 is that God chose you, period. You're, you're chosen and adopted. If that's all you can remember about chapter 1, you got it. But God picked you. You're not trying to earn His forgiveness or earn His acceptance, but He chose you. Then chapter 2, it explains the gospel this way, that we weren't bad people that needed to be better, but we were dead in our transgressions. But God, being rich in mercy, He made us alive in Christ. That it's by grace through faith that you've been saved. Not by works, lest no man boast. And by the way, if at some point you find yourself in a church that teaches anything other than it's by grace... Through faith in Christ alone that saves you, if they teach anything else, then gather your things, go get your kids, leave that church and never come back, okay? Because that's the heartbeat of the gospel. That's the, the essence of the gospel. And then in chapter 3, it talks about peace, that Christ made peace between us and God and us and each other. And that the way the gospel is going to go throughout the ends of the earth is through the church, through this thing we call the church. A bunch of little local churches all gathered together with Jesus as our head. And so then you get to chapter 4. And so the first three chapters of the gospel, and then you get chapter 4 and following are the implications of the gospel. That if Jesus lives in you, then the way you live should look different. Why? Not because you're trying to earn his salvation, but because if he lives in you, then the way you live is just different. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, that, that you should... Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called to. In other words, if Jesus lives in you, then the way you walk or the way you live begins to change. And we spent a week talking about how that would change as a church. And we rolled out covenant membership. And that if you want to go from being a receiver of the mission, vision, and values of this church to become an owner of the mission, vision, and values of this church, then you're probably ready to become a covenant member. If you want to be a part of those of us that own the responsibility of making sure that this place is always a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're probably ready for covenant membership. By the way, our covenant membership classes are full all the way through the end of the year, and we'll, we'll be adding them in January every month. We're going to try to add on about 100 new covenant members and way to go in responding to that. And then we talked about... How um, when you get saved, that it should change the way you live. 
And again, it's not outside in, it's inside out. But when you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, that you were made holy and blameless, that positionally Christ made you holy and blameless. And you begin to think, but I don't feel holy and blameless. I know, you don't even look holy and blameless. But positionally, you're holy and blameless. And by Christ working in you, that when you abide in Him, when you get to know Him, when you spend time with Him, you become more like Him, more and more like Him. That's the sanctifying process. And for some of you, you've been surprising yourself, haven't you? you you've surrendered to Jesus, and you got baptized, and you proclaimed to the world that Jesus is your Lord. And the other day, you stumped your toe, and you went, oh, sugar. And when you said sugar, you went, oh, my goodness, it's happening. My vocabulary is changing, okay? That's just Christ's work in you, all right? That, that's what's going on. And then we get to chapter 5, verse 21, and, and we put it on the front of your notes, on the front of your bulletin this week, because this was the umbrella verse that says, not only does Christ change you from the inside out, but when you love God, then it changes the way that we interact with each other, that the gospel affects all of our relationships. And it can all be summed up in 521 here. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul's going to go and he's going to unpack that, that mutual submission in three categories of your life. And so last week we spent a whole week just on one category in your marriage. That if you're a Christian, the way you treat one another as husband and wife, it's mutual submission and it's about love and respect. And so this week we're going to talk about two other main categories. And one is category at home between children and parents. And then also the category of work. Of what tomorrow, when you get up in the morning and go to your job or go to your school or wherever, then it looks different because Christ lives in you. And so we'll pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. And we're going to just, this is like a continuation really of last week's sermon on submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So chapter 6, verse 1. Children. All right, I got to stop right there. So here's why. Because, you know, all of us are children, right? Because we all have parents. But this doesn't mean like grown people with grown parents. This means, like, if you live under the authority of your parents, and, and I know in our culture, it's really, really hard to distinguish from when you go from child to adult, right? Because we're one of the very few societies in human history that didn't have a clear demarcation between you're a child and now you're an adult. And in our culture, it's kind of, it depends on who you ask. So if you ask Advil, it's 12. So when you're 12, you're now an adult. Um, if you ask the military, it's 18. If you ask Budweiser, it's 21. Obamacare, never. You just don't have to grow up. Just we'll take care of you forever. Um, DMV is 16. If you ask Delta, two. If you're two years old, you get your own seat. Okay, so, so here's the way we'll define it for our purposes today. Basically, if you're on your parents' insurance, then you're a children, according to Ephesians, all right? So if you live in your own dorm room and all that, yay, good for you. But uh, if they cover your car insurance, health insurance, then you're under their kind of proverbial roof. And so it's talking to, to you. So children, obey your parents. <laughs> One mom. <laughs> you can just pray and go home. Okay, you're good. You got it. Wait till your part, though. All right, here we go. Uh, Parents, that word sounds awesome, doesn't it? Obey, obey, obey. Students, let me tell you this. Kids, children, college students, high school students, middle school students, obey. It doesn't say understand. It doesn't. It doesn't say understand. It doesn't say it has to make sense to you. It doesn't say they have to answer why. It doesn't say any of that. It just says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And what this means is it's about your identity in Christ. If you're a high school student, college student, middle school student, and, and you say that you're a Christian, 
then what Paul is saying here is that because Christ is in you, then the way you live is different than the way the rest of the world lives. And let me say it this way, students. I know a bunch of you went to Jamaica and, and all of that, and you're like, yay, I'm so radical. No, you're not. So, <clears throat> and here's what I mean. We live in a time and age where your generation is like the most countercultural, radical generation ever. It's nothing for somebody, a 20-something-year-old, to graduate from college and say, hey, I'm not chasing after a corporate success. I'm going to go dig wells in Africa. And everybody's like, high five, that's cool for you. It's not that radical. It, it really isn't. You go on a mission trip, sweet. Everybody does that. So you, you want to know how to just be radical to your generation? It's this. Obey your mother and father. I'm serious. If you just obey your parents, your friends will say, what, what is going on with you? Okay. I mean, if you graduate from college and you start, start a shoe company like Tom's, you know, those little goofy shoes, little ninja slippers that they give out. And they're like, if you buy one, we give some poor kid in Africa a free pair. You know that company? That's kind of normative now. And I think the kids in Africa are like, no, you can keep those. I think I'll stay barefooted. I don't think I'm going to wear your Nurse Betty shoes. But anyway, that's fine. If you got on Tom's. Uh, but what I'm saying to you is that's kind of normative. Everybody does that. But if you want to, I mean, you want to just be radical in your school, then obey. Obey your parents. Why? Not even because it makes a ton of sense, but because you're in the Lord, and it goes on to say, for this is right. You know what that means? This is how God ordered it. That's what it means when it says it is right. Not just not like right and wrong, but this is the way God designed it. And again, the, here's, here's the part that you don't understand, and you won't until you have kids, I know. And, and your parents are going to curse you like my parents cursed me. And when you get old like me, you'll be under, be able to understand. My daddy one time said, son, I hope and pray you get one just like you. And when I was 15, I was like, you dang right. I hope so too. He'll be awesome. All right. That's not what he meant. Cause I've got one just like me, a little lawyer in the house. But what about, okay. Okay. So I can remember, I can remember looking, watching my dad. He was outside. He was cutting the grass and he had on a, uh, a fishing t-shirt with a pocket and OP shorts, you don't know what OP shorts are, but just Google Magnum PI and everybody else know what I'm talking about. Remember those OP shorts? There was a lot of man thigh going on. What, there was a, that really should not have been exposed to Dylan, but there was a lot going on there. And he had on his business socks up to here and then Velcro tennis shoes from Walmart. And I remember going, I don't know if I could take advice from someone that would choose that sort of fashion. Meanwhile, I'm standing there in some MC Hammer pants and a mullet because it was like 85. Thinking I'm awesome. Okay. So I say all that just to say. If you live under your parents' authority, listen, nobody knows you better than your mom and dad. Nobody loves you more than your parents. You want to be radical in this generation. I'm telling you. It's obey. Why? Because you're in the Lord. Why? Because this is just the way God set it up. Verse 2 is this. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So... Here's the word. If you're, if you're a children, all right, if you're under your parents' authority, then here's your word. It's honor. That's it. It's honor. And we live in a culture that is traded in honor for cynicism and entitlement. And I'm not sure how it happened, but at the church of 1122, honor is a big deal for us. It's a really big deal. And so it's one of the reasons we just try to lift other pastors up around this town and, and, and all of our elected officials, etc., because we are trying to create a culture of honor. And I know this culture is sliding away from honor and we operate at an honor deficit. I don't care. I don't want to go the way of this culture. This culture is going to hell. I don't want to go there. So we are going to be a place that honors people. And honor and respect are not the same thing. You see, respect is earned. Honor is given. 
That somebody can act very disrespectful and yet we can choose to honor them. And so the Bible says to children that they should honor their father and mother. And, and, and here's the thing that happens. It says that it may go well with you. That doesn't mean that your parents will kill you if you don't. They might, but that's not what it's talking about. That there is a supernatural connection between our, um, us choosing to honor those in authority and then um, God's activity in our lives. You can, you can look when Jesus went back to his hometown and it says he's a prophet without honor, that his hometown didn't honor him. And look what it says. He left and didn't do many miracles. But in other places where he was honored, he did a lot of activity there. You know, one of the reasons I think God has decided to flex at the church of 1122, it's not about what we do. Every church I know sings and talks this morning. That's the same thing. Ben sings, I talk, ta-da. That's our strategy, all right? But here's what I think began to happen, is that the day that we realized we were going to turn into a church, Pastor Stovall Weems at Celebration Church, they, they have a culture of honor. Every time I go over there, they honor me like crazy. And by the way, you honor me like crazy and honor our elders like crazy, and that's, it really is appreciated. And Pastor Stovall takes me to lunch, and we're at Salt Life, right? next to beach and he points at beach united methodist church where we came from he said listen you honor pastor jerry and you honor that church in this season and god will honor you in your season the way you exit this season of ministry determines how you step into the next season of ministry and i really believe that there's this supernatural um, connection between honor and god's activity and i think a big part of god's favor upon this church is because right when I got out of that, out of that meeting, when Pastor Silval said that, I felt like I was eating with, you know, Isaiah or some, like a prophet was just saying words from God to me. I went and got our staff. Our staff was 14 at that point, not aged, but just that's how many people we had. And I said, listen, we're going to honor the United Methodist denomination. We're going to honor Pastor Jerry Swift. We're going to honor Beach United Methodist Church every opportunity we get. And I think we passed the honor test. And so God got really, really involved in our church. And listen, Children, the Bible says you honor your father and mother and God gets involved in what you're, what's going on in your world. That it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. And so the word is honor. And it's just given regardless of who your parents are that you can honor your parents. Now, here's, here's a few ways that kids under the authority of their parents can honor them. Number one, this is huge. You should write this down, okay? If you're sitting there like this and you're a student, you had not caught on to what we're doing yet. You should write these down or voice record it on your phone or whatever you do. Okay, so listen, Facebook it, tweet me, whatever you want. Number one, obey. It's like your parents' love language. I'm telling you. If you just obey, like if they just tell you to do something, and you know it's dumb, but whatever, it doesn't make sense, whatever. And then you just do it, I'm telling you, it'll make their head spin around. They don't, they don't even know how to handle that. They'll think you're trying to punk them. They're like, what is, this is a setup. And what you're doing, though, is you're just saying, no, I trust you. And it's not even because your parents are necessarily trustworthy, but you trust that God, of all the parents in the entire world, gave you your parents. That you just, I mean, just try it out this week. Just do what they say this week and watch what happens. Another one, this is huge, is the way you talk to your parents. That... That, and it's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. That Jesus says that out, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you know what the opposite of honor is? Especially girls, ready? Here's the opposite of honor to your parents. Ready? Ah, that's the opposite of honor. Whatever that little demon voice is, is the opposite of honor. So did 15 years of student ministry, and I can't tell you the number of times, some kid is on their cell phone, and they're just, I mean, they're just speaking with such disrespect to somebody on the other line. And, and they would get off the phone, and I'd say, are you okay? I mean, that did not sound okay. Are you okay? Who are you talking to? And they go, oh, it's just my mom. Oh, no, 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 no. That is the opposite. 
It is so dishonoring, okay? So one is, the, one is obedience, one is the way you talk to them, and then the third one is this, is that tell the truth. It's just tell the truth. Every parent in here would tell you one of the greatest ways you can honor me is just tell the truth. Even if the truth that you have to tell them today is that you've been lying for the last three weeks. It's okay. I promise it just goes better for you. It's honoring when you say, Mom and Dad, I just trust you enough to just say, here's the truth. And, and it's all, that's just all ways to honor your parents. Now, grown children like me, you never stop honoring your parents. You're not necessarily under their authority anymore, but here's, real quick, here's some ways you can honor, is that you can call them on the phone, just call them, right? Keep them involved that way, that you can um, say thanks, and most of the time it's pretty easy once you have your own kids and you realize what your mom and dad had to go through, and you go, oh wow, mom, dad, thank you. And then lastly is that sometimes you can just ask their opinion. You say, hey, Dad, I do this all the time with my dad. Hey, Dad, hey, i got a staffing decision to make, or I've got something to do at church. What would you do? Man, my dad's never led a church, but that's irrelevant. Just to open up that door to say, I have such respect and honor for you to allow them to continue to speak into my life. So, children, this is your word, honor. Verse 4, next category. Fathers. Now, this is kind of crazy, and I know it's going to make some of your heads explode, but that's okay. It doesn't say fathers and mothers. Now, in the parenting part above this, it talks about fathers and mothers a lot. Because mom and dad, it, ta- it really ideally takes both. And we all know, mom, you do about 90% of the parenting. But listen, remember last week we said the husband is the head? Guess what? Right here we're going to find out again, dad, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. That if things go awry in your family, guess who God's coming to see? See, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and Eve sinned first... I know, ladies, get over it. Now, Adam sinned too. He's right there, like, eat what? Okay, whatever you say. You know, he sinned too. But when God comes to look for them in the garden, he calls out to the man. Why? Because he is the head and he is responsible. So guess what this means, dads, is that you've got to get involved in your kid's life. That you've got to get involved. I mean, you're the head. You are responsible. And listen to this. The most defining person in your life is your dad. Period. And it's just true. It just is. And some of you go, not my dad, because he wasn't there. Okay, that, the, his absence was the most, defining, the most defining thing in your entire life. Whether you have a good dad or a bad dad, I'm telling you, it just defines us. It just has to do with the way God set things up. And so listen, dads, if you're in here, then you've got to be involved in your children's life. And, and, and that means, and I don't know when it happened or how it happened, but somehow a couple generations ago, People began to say, no, raising kids is like women's work. You know, men do stuff out here, and raising kids is women's work. That, you've got to be out of your mind. Listen, you've got to be intimately and intricately involved in the raising of your children. Now, your wife might help you understand how to do that and tell you what to do. That's how we do it in my house. But you've got to be involved. You know what? And I know some of you are so busy. You're like, I'm too busy. I can't because, you know, I'm working and all that. Well, Well, you better get your priorities right and get involved. Or some of you, it's your pride. You know, that you won't just get down on the floor and play some Barbies with your little girl. Friday night, I had, a, I had a candlelight dinner with Reagan Capri. You understand? And she wanted mac and cheese. That's what we had, mac and cheese and candlelight, yeah, right? And then afterwards, we did tea party, and I sat in one of those little seats that aren't even big enough to hold me up, and I made sure there was no iPhones around to take pictures, and it involved a tiara and one of those little pink things you wrap around. It's not a tie. Don't tell me. I don't even want to know what it is. I don't even want to know the name. But I put that on. And you know Why? You know why? Because I want her to know that I'm so involved. 
and it's not that much fun. I don't like Frozen. I let it go. Please just let the whole thing go. I hate it. But I've watched it a thousand times with her. You understand? And here's why. Because I'm going to be invested in my little girl's life. Because if I don't, one day she'll find a boy that'll, that'll play tea party with her. And it'll just be different. And I'm just telling you, dads, you've got to get involved. And listen to this, dads, moms too. But your kids are never going to be great listeners. They're just not. They're not wired for it, okay? They're never going to be great listeners. They are incredible imitators. They're just incredible imitators. And so it, it, your sons, dad, the way they watch you treat women, that's probably how they're going to treat women. They see you love, honor, and respect mama. They, they will be more likely to love, honor, and respect women. They see you use women as a commodity by looking at porn, and they know. I don't know how, but they, they just know. You can't trick them either. Then they'll, ra- they'll be raised and think, well, that's what we do with women. We just treat them like a commodity. I'm telling you, you better get involved, dads. And your little girls, you better be pouring into them, spending time with them so that they know that they are valuable. And so, fathers, it says, do not provoke your children to anger. Here's what this means. Some of you are like, I have teenagers. The sunrise provokes them to anger. Okay, here's what it means. (laughs) I like the way the NIV translates it. It says, um, do not exasperate your children. That word exasperate means to put them in a no-win situation. It means this. It means... um, Rules without relationship will always lead to rebellion. That's what it means. When you put your kid in a no-win situation, and it doesn't make any sense to them. Like when they're little, and we've all done this, okay, we've all done this. When you cook something that you know your kids hate and say, you're going to sit there until it's all finished. You know what? You've just put them in a no-win situation. If, some, if I did that to you, it would be miserable, right? Like I'm going to Uganda in a couple of weeks. They will put food in front of me, and I'm going, no thanks. And if they say, you have to sit here until you're finished, then I'd have to sit there until Jesus comes home because I ain't eating cow stomach for anybody, all right? So it's just you put your, you, if you put your, your kid in these no-win situations, that's what it means to exasperate. So um, recently I had to go to JP and repent, to ask his forgiveness and repent because I was studying through this text. And remember, this is under the banner of mutual submission, so JP always submits to me, because if he doesn't, I can make him. But I'm also supposed to submit to him. And, and, and one of the things I've gotten in this terrible habit of whenever JP would do something that I thought was dumb, I'd call him Beavis. I'd be like, come on, Beavis. And he didn't know who Beavis was, so it was fine for a while. And then he Googled Beavis. <laughs> and then he came to me very seriously and said, Dad, never call me that again. Okay? And I was like, whatever, Beavis. It was just a terrible habit, you know. And words are powerful, man. Your tongue has the power of life and death. So I was so convicted of the Holy Spirit because of these verses. And I'm telling you, I, I'm a good dad. I try to be a good dad. I'm very involved. I love my kids. And, and, and I knew that what I had to do to fulfill this scripture is to go to him and sit down. So I came out of the woods a couple weeks ago. And I, I got home and said, buddy, I need to talk to you. And we sat down eyeball to eyeball. And I just said straight up, JP, um, I need to ask for your forgiveness because I have done you wrong. I have sinned against you. I've called you names and you asked me not to do it anymore and I kept doing it. And I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And JP was like, am I being punked? I mean, what is, hap- what is happening here? And essentially what I'm telling him, what I'm trying to train him in the instruction of the Lord is, listen, um, when you sin against somebody, this is what you do. You own it and you ask for forgiveness and then you repent. That's what you do. And that's what I was doing with JP. Why? Because I was trying not to exasperate him. But here's a better way. Here's a different way to parent. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
That word bring them up, it literally means training. Training. I heard one of those like parent experts say this one time, that the more time you spend coaching, the less time you have to spend correcting. But most of us just tend to lean into the correction because we don't have time for the coaching. Because training and discipline and instruction takes a long time. Just, just correcting doesn't take a lot of time. And let me tell you, let me just push on you parents, is that I think most of you are too busy. I think most of you are too busy. And you've got your kids signed up for too much crap. And I mean crap, like scubilon, all right? Too much stuff. That, that you don't have time to actually develop this relationship with your children because you're going to like 15 activities. And you're going to football and baseball and basketball and swim and, and soccer and dance and horseback riding lessons. And what you're trying to say and the pushback I get is this. Yeah, but I want my kids to have an experience that I didn't get to experience. Let me tell you what your kids need. They need you. And they're experientially, experientially rich and they're relationally poor. And listen, I'm not anti-sports. I mean, we got baseball tryouts tomorrow, okay? But when those things begin to get in the way of you building a relationship with your kids, you're not doing what the Scripture is saying here by training them up in the Lord. And I've heard this too. People say this to me all the time. And again, I'm not anti-sports, but people will push back and go, no, 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 but football builds character. I'm calling BS. Football does not build character. You know why? When I, think, when I say NFL, do you think, oh, those are some young men of high moral character? no, no. <laughs> No, and I'm, go Jags, baby, go, I love them, and some of them come here, good job Thursday, guys, but, listen, football doesn't build character, parents build character. Now, some good parents leverage some activities to help demonstrate character in their kids' lives, yes and amen, praise God, but when I look at the average NFL team, I think, there's some young men that need a dad, that's what I think, and so, don't, some of you are too busy, too busy. And, you, and, you, and you're spending all your time, effort, and, and, and money on, on your kids. And if you're, if you're just gut-level honest, it's because you never turned out to be the athlete you wanted to be, and you're trying to live it out in Timmy, okay? Get over it and just spend some time with him developing that relationship. That's what it means to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so a lot of times we kind of go into one or two extremes in parenting. Some of us try to parent by reward. It's a bummer because you just try to, your whole world revolves around your kid. You know what that grows up into? <laughs> I mean, you've worked with that person. You've worked with that person. And you go, oh, okay, I know who you are. You're the kid that got everything they wanted when they wanted. You know that person. The other extreme is this, is that we just try to parent through restraint. Now, early on, that's how you parent. It's just, it's just parent by restraint. You take your kid that doesn't know what they're doing, and you strap them in, and you take them where they need to go, right? You put them in the back seat, you put the nine-point harness on, the helmet, the safety goggles, you know, they could go to the moon from your back seat, but it's all fine. Now, here's the thing. Rules without relationship, they go to rebellion. Every one of you had a fraternity brother or sorority sister, and their parents were strict, 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 never let the kid make a decision. Then they went to Florida State, and woo Crazy town, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them are sitting next to you right now. Welcome to 1122. Glad you're here. So... Here's what you got to do. Here's what these verses are insinuating. Is that, is that you've got to move from that kind of restraint reward parenting, which you got to do early. But over time, over the limited time you get, you got to move from that to relationship for the sake of influence. Because there will be a day where your kids don't need your permission anymore to make decisions. And if you have not trained them to make the kind of decisions they need to make through a relationship with you, then one day you'll have no influence. And when they are on their own, or when they could restrain you. You know, there'll be a day where your kids could put you in the car seat, give you the pacifier, and it probably will happen. But that's a different talk. So when, when, you, when, when you move through those areas of your child's life, you want that relationship to be strong because you always want to be a person of influence in their life. That's what this is talking about. That fathers, 
That you don't, you don't ex- exasperate your kid, but you bring them up, you train them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So parents, remember children, your word was honor. Parents, your word is influence. Is influence. That you must move from restraint to relationship for the sake of influence. And then in that influence, you point everything to Jesus. You point everything to Jesus. And here's some ways you can do that. Here's some ways that you can bring them up in the Lord here in our church. Number one is you partner with our new gen team by consistently getting them to new gen. That, and, and most of you did it today, right? Your kids are over here. And I just want you to know our church puts a high priority and value on sharing the gospel with our children. I have my two over there right now, right? And then you just take some of the tools that our new gen department gives us, and then you can be like a rabbi at home. Well, this verse means this. And you just read what they gave you to read, but you got to do some of that stuff. If you're a parent of a, of a middle school student or a high school student, I would do whatever it takes. I would leverage all of your relational authority in, with your kids to get them involved in a student ministry. You know, we like ours, but if any student ministry that loves Jesus in our city, because you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And you want to get your kids around the kind of kids that are following after Jesus. And, and I'm going to tell you, some of you are like, well, I don't want to force it. You force English, okay? You really do. You don't let your kid take a vote on whether they're going to take English or not. And in 100 years, English won't matter, and what they did with Jesus will be the only thing left. And so you do what it takes to get them around the right kind of people. The second thing is this, parents, is that you speak life into your children. I hope you're making more deposits verbally than you are withdrawals. That when they hear you say their name, that that's a positive kind of thing and not a negative thing. The third one is this. This is not very spiritual, but listen, Christian parents, maybe you just got to be fun. You just ought to have some fun with your children. And some of you are not very fun. You spend all your time memorizing Bible verses in the Greek. Well, put it down and just play something with your children. Like, just have a good time. Like, you ought to wrestle a lot and be really good at it. Some of you today ought to put on long, woolly socks and see if you can outslide your kids on the hardwood floor. That is a God-honoring event in your home. Got it? That you should play, you should do some tea parties, and we kill zombies on the Xbox in Jesus' name. It's what we do. You know, that's what we do. That, that when your kids are your age, that they can look back at these days in their life and think, you know what, my parents didn't have everything perfect, but gosh, we had some really fun times together. And then this is a huge one, especially for dads. Dads, moms too, but especially dads, don't stop fighting for your kids. Just don't stop fighting for your kids. I know they don't understand right now, but, but what they need to understand where they get... Because you know how you go through that cycle when, when kids are little, you're awesome, and then they're teenagers, and you're not awesome, and then they're in their 20s and on their own, and then you're awesome again? Okay. So you just got to endure to your re-awesomeness when it comes back around. And you just can't stop fighting for your kids. I mean, I've talked to some dads of teenage girls, and they've said, I've just given up on the fashion war. Don't give up. I know we live in Jacksonville Beach. Girls, I hate to hurt your feelings. You don't wear enough clothes around here. I'm sorry. It just is. Don't clap, don't clap, don't clap. Because, uh, you know, just don't. So, and so, but, but God, dad, you've just got to stay involved and just communicate over and over and over to your daughters, especially that you are too valuable for that. Because when she's 25, she's not going to remember exactly what kind of pants she could and could not wear. But what she will remember is that my dad was so involved. My dad never quit fighting for me. Also, if you're like in custody wars for your kids, let me just tell you, moms and dads, just, just don't give up. 
Just don't give up. I'm not saying be mean and, and all of that. You know, you've got to figure out what works best. But um, they will never be able, your children will never be able to understand all the adult details that are going into what you're deciding to do. But when they're 25, the only thing they'll know is, did my mom and dad tap out or did they stay in the fight? And you've just, you just can't give up. You just got to stay in the fight for your kids. Because I've told you this a bunch of times, you know, that, that I'm, I mean, I'm just involved in my kid's life and I'm trying to just demonstrate to JP, look, this is, this is what it looks like to be a man of God and, and to live like this. And I'm just trying to demonstrate to Reagan, this is how valuable you are and therefore you should be treated as valuable. And I've told you before, I'm never going to give up the fight. Some little boy at 15, 16 comes over to pick her up. It ain't just, all right, go ahead. I might ride in the back seat. And if she doesn't like me, Jimmy Crasscorn, I don't care. I love her, okay? And I've told you before, I'll start my prison ministry from the inside. I have no qualms about that. There's some things worth going to jail for. And I believe that fighting for my daughter, fighting for my children, I think I could look Reagan and Jesus and the judge and the corpse of some dead body in the eye and say, I have never stopped fighting for my children. So, fathers, influence. So that's at home. Children, honor. Fathers and mothers, influence. Next. It says bond servant. Let me unpack that real quick. Some of your translations say slave. Now, um, uh, slavery that happened in America is not the same kind. It's not what it's talking about here in, in first century. Okay. So, um, bond servant is a better word because here in the first century, it wasn't like a racial thing. It wasn't one race oppressing and dehumanizing another race like happened in our country. One of the most atrocious things in, in human history. And so, but here, um, if you owed someone a debt, you could become a bond servant of theirs over time, get paid and pay back the debt. And then you could make enough to buy your freedom back. And so, so it's just different in our context. The, the closest thing we have is just employee, you know, like you, you go to work tomorrow. That's what it's talking about here. So if you're an employee, then here's what we're supposed to do because the gospel's in us. Here's what we're supposed to do. Obey your earthly masters. With fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Now think about this. When you go to work tomorrow, do you obey and love your boss like you do Jesus? And some of you are like, well, yeah, but my boss is more like the devil than Jesus, so it's different. Well, not really. Verse 6, this is great. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God, from the heart, rendering service with the good will, as to the Lord and not to man. Do you know what that means? That means that if you've got a boss tomorrow, that the reason that, that you should work hard tomorrow is because you're actually working for Jesus and not just, you know, the guy that you've got to report to or the lady that you've got to report to. And that means that if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ because of who is in you, then the way you work should be totally different than the rest of this world. Here's what it means. It means that you don't cut corners. And it means that you're not a slacker. It means also that you're not a brown noser. You don't just do good things when people are walking, watching or, or you do good things when your review is up. But that you work hard to prove your boss right. Everybody else in your company, it's so easy to do things to prove them wrong. But as a Christian, you're trying to prove your boss right. And if you don't like it, then you can find somewhere else to work. And here, here's the thing, is that Christians at work should be the hardest working classification of people in the entire country. That, that bosses all over Jacksonville may even be looking at you saying, listen, I don't believe what you believe. I think you might be in a cult at that weird Walmart thing you go to. And I don't think I'm ever going, but I'm going to tell you this. I want to hire all of you because you're hardworking, you don't cut corners, and you're honest, and you have integrity. The Christians should be the hardest workers in the world. Why? Because you're working for Jesus. 
Not for the applause of man, but because God placed you where you are. So here's your word. If you've got a boss, if you're going to get up tomorrow and you're going to go to work and you have a boss, then your word is this. It's integrity. It's integrity. That if Christ lives in you, then the way you work, it should be full of integrity. The word integrity comes from the word integer, which means one. And you know what that means? You just have one way to live. No matter who's watching, no matter what's on the line, it doesn't matter. But you just live and work this one way. Why? Because Jesus lives in you. Verse 8. Here's the why. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. You know what that means? Do you know why you have the boss you have? I don't either. I don't either. Except the fact that God wanted it that way. That's it. And you don't know the prayers that are being prayed in your office. There may be your boss. I mean, he might be the most crooked guy in the world, all right? And you hate him and, and, and he's hateable. But you don't know what's going on in his life or her life. And he or she may be praying today. God, if you're really there, why don't you show yourself? And, this, and the showing God is going to do is that you show up. That you show up. And when everybody else has got this crappy attitude, you don't. And it's because you realize that you're working for a higher purpose than to sell whatever you're trying to sell or, or make whatever kind of goals you're trying to make. So how does this play out in the life of the Christian? It's this easy. If Christ is in you at work tomorrow, here's what you do. You show up early, you work hard, you give your best. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for you. That's why. Because Jesus showed up early. For 30 years, he just kind of hung around, did carpentry stuff. He did his best. He did everything it took on the cross to purchase, to make a way for us to be okay with God. He did that. And he honored his Father. Not my will, but your will be done. And so, in your workplace, that you should stand out. Why? Because you're trying to get a promotion? No, I mean, you just got to trust God. God does not need your help to get you a promotion. That if you just live in Christ and do what people in Christ do, then God promotes. He'll take care of all of that. You trust him with that. But you do that, I'm telling you, it will, if, you, if you work with integrity, it will be a radical representation of what Jesus on this earth looks like. And then lastly is this, verse 9, it says master. So again, in our context, this is like a boss. Like if you're a boss, then there's some instruction to you. And so on paper, if you look at the organizational chart of the church of 1122, my boss is Jesus, so it's kind of like I don't, he doesn't do my annual review, you know what I mean? We do have a board of elders that I submit to, but I don't have like one boss. And so um, what, what I decided to do here is I wanted to talk to a boss that loved Jesus and ask how being a boss with, you know, Jesus as who you are, how that changed the way you worked. And so I got the biggest boss in all of Jacksonville that I could find. And so Mayor Alvin Brown came by my office a couple of weeks ago and let me ask him some questions about what it looks like to live in and under authority. So listen to the, to the answers to my questions of the boss of all of Jacksonville, Mayor Alvin Brown. Take this out. First of all, uh, Mayor Brown, thank you so much for being here. I know we met um, at your prayer breakfast a few years ago, and I was totally just taken with you then because you preached the gospel at this interfaith prayer breakfast, and I thought, no way, our mayor is a better preacher than I am. So <laughs> I knew that we were going to be in, in good hands. So um, this week in Ephesians, we are talking about what it's like to live in and under authority. And so I thought, what better person to have than the authority in Jacksonville. I mean, the buck stops with you. You are our mayor and you are God's appointed authority in our city. And so one of the things I know about you is that you love Jesus and, and that you're a Christian and you're pretty overt about your faith. And so how has your faith in Jesus impacted and affected you as the chief authority, the mayor of the city of Jacksonville? 
Well, I, first of all, thanks for having me here. I'm happy to be with you. Uh, this is an honor to, to be in your presence and, and be able to spend some time with you. But I, I think the key is uh, being a man of faith, you have to be able to follow authority. You have to be a follower. And I'm so fortunate and blessed to have uh, some good teachers in my life that I followed. You know, my pastors like my dad, uh, who uh, baptized me, uh, married me off, uh, named my two boys. And, uh, you know, it started there by uh, really going to Bible study and Sunday school and getting to grow in Christ. Because I think you have to, as a Christian, you have to be a good follower. So I got a one-off question for you. Something I've been wanting to ask since the day we met. You introduced your pastor, the guy that led you to the Lord, to me as your father. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought you meant like your literal biological father. Then you introduced this other guy as your father, then this other guy as your father, and it takes me a little while. Um, and then I, I began to understand, particularly in African-American churches, there's a tradition where spiritual fatherhood is a really big deal. That tradition doesn't necessarily exist in our church, and yet we need to learn so much from that. Can you just talk to me a little bit about that spiritual fatherhood? Because it's also an authority that God places Absolutely. in your life. I think even in uh, 11.22, <clears throat> you're the spiritual father. God has placed you here for this season, and we all have a season. And he's had you in the season of preparation. So he prepared you for this this movement, this, this, this leadership that you provide. And so every member of your church, they're, uh, they're under your authority. And so they have to listen to you. They have to uh, really follow your leadership. Uh, really uh, embrace uh, everything that you're teaching. Uh, it's so important because what that will do is equip them to be prepared to do battle in the real world. What keeps uh, uh, God on fire for his leader like you is you empowering your church with the gospel. And one of the things I just want to encourage you in is that when God created Adam, he created him as a gardener, that the raw goods were there, and that that as a cultivator, um, Adam was to rearrange the raw goods for the flourishing of humankind. I think that's what your job is as our mayor, is to rearrange the raw goods um, for the flourishing of the city of Jacksonville. On our side... um, as a church, as the Church of 1122, and as you know, the citizens of Jacksonville that are here, that attend this church, um, you are our authority. I want you to know that as a church, we pray for you. We pray for, for the God-sized initiatives that you take on. I mean, we really do. We respect you and we honor you. But what are some ways that we can help support what God has called you to do for our city? Well, first, I really appreciate you praying for me. Now, you got to call me by my name, and I know you do. That's important. I want your members to know that, that you got to call the mayor by his name. Because when you say to God, Lord, bless Mayor Alvin Brown and his family, uh, that that's special, right? Mm-hmm. That's that personal uh, plea to, the, to God that uh, you're, 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 you're praying for your mayor. So that's, that's one thing. I think the way you can help the mayor is is really partnering with the city mm-hmm. on some of the things you're already doing, like the mayor's mentors. I love the, the launch another drive for the mayor's mentors, getting the faith-based community involved in our mentorship program to help more young people. Uh, most people don't talk about it, but a lot of these kids, uh, like me, was raised by a single mother mm-hmm. uh, who had five kids, worked two jobs, uh, never went to college, 
but she had a PhD in common sense and a PhD in the, in the gospel. So uh, I think that mentoring young people and people of faith, working with young people in the school system, uh, helping them out is very, very important. You know, I, I think I think that if we work together, uh, we can achieve so much in this city. And that's what I'm excited about. Amen. That's what I'm excited about. Amen. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate all you do. Thanks for taking so much time for to be here with us. I know you're busy. You're running the... Very busy for you. Come on, man. <laughs> this I... is, you, you know you have the hardest job in America. <laughs> well... Did anybody ever tell you that? Okay. Now, listen. So, amen, amen. Hey, so politically, I don't care where you are. I don't care who you voted for. That's our mayor. We honor him. We respect him. We're going to pray for him. It's also true of, of all points of authority and governmental authority that God has, has placed to be over us. That means when you get pulled over, driving down the road with your 1122 sticker on it, all right, and the cop comes up, then you treat him with honor and respect. Why? Because God has him in a, or her in a, in a place of authority. Same thing with our military, all those kind of things. I'll I tell you this. I don't know. He's the only politician I know, okay? So I like him. He loves Jesus. That's all that matters to me. I really, he's just like a friend. And so here's what I know. He's in charge of our whole city. And the overwhelming sense I get every time I'm with our mayor is how humble he is. How humble he is. So this is what, this is a big part of like what Paul's talking about here. He says, hey, bosses. And by the way, every single one of us are going to be a boss at some point. Even if you're not a boss now, you're going to be a boss even this week. Whether you're like the CEO of the biggest corporation in our entire city or if you're running carpool, a boss is just when you look around the room and you realize you're the most powerful person in the room. Here's how we're supposed to act. It says, do the same to them. Do the same to them. In other words, that God placed people under your care. And I would ask you this. If you're a boss, let me ask you this. Do the people that work for you have a better understanding of who the chief shepherd is by the way you've shepherded the people that work for you? Regardless of what they believe. That's not what we're talking about, but the way that the kind of boss that you are to the people that have to do what you tell them to do. Do they understand who Jesus is better because of the kind of boss that you are? So it says, and stop your threatening. In other words, quit flexing on people trying to prove who you are. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and and that there is no partiality with him. You know what that means? That, That God placed you in a position of authority. He can pull you right out. You know what Coach Lee used to tell me all the time? He's talking about football players. But he would say, you want to know how important you are? You know how hard you are to replace? Stick your finger in a cup of water and then pull it out real quick and look for the dent. That's how long it'll take for God to replace you. And you would think, thanks, Coach. Love you too. Good night. I mean, but, but what he was saying was very, very important. That God does not show any partiality. In other words, if you're a boss, here's your word. It's humility. It's humility. Do you walk in the confidence God has placed you with authority? And then the humility. It's not you. It's the Lord. Look, on Tuesdays, we have an all-staff meeting every Tuesday, and I love it. Um, <clears throat> culture's a big deal for us around here, and, and, and we understand that, that culture dict- dictates behavior. We also understand that culture leaks, and so we started with 14 employees here, and now we've got 45 or 8 or something like that, and so a lot of new people here. And so, especially after just listening to this thing that, that Mayor Brown said about me being the spiritual father here, and I gathered our core team, I mean, I gathered our all-staff together, and it's great. We celebrate wins and what God's doing among us here, and we yay God for that. And then I stood up in front of our staff and I opened up the scriptures and said, listen, we're going to go through this code of conduct for our staff. 
And it's really just about culture. And the number one thing is authenticity. And I had studied for it, and I'm telling you, it was good. And I had Bible verses and our whole staff. I mean, the people I pay to listen to me, they're right here, okay? And I'm teaching through it, and it's about how you got to be authentic with Jesus, and then you got to be authentic with yourself, and you got to be authentic with one another. And as I'm teaching, and it's good stuff, my staff is not paying attention very well. And I'm telling you, in my mind, I'm getting so aggravated. I, I, I kind of wanted to go, stop, can we show the mayor video? I have the hardest job in the city, didn't you see that? And, and why are y'all not listening? You know, thousands of people show up every week to listen, and I don't even pay them. I, pay, I mean, in my mind, it's just going crazy. And then, in particular, Pastor Britt and Pastor Ben are kind of chatting with each other and messing with their phones. And I wanted to choke them out and pull them aside. Like, What's wrong with you? Okay? And then about that time, when I'm all bowed up, Pastor Ben says, um... You need to zip your pants up. <laughs> and that's it. For 10 minutes up, up there and just, and then the luckies too. So lucky you right there for our whole staff. And they can't hear a word. All they can think is, who should tell them? You tell them. I ain't telling them. Man. Just look away. Just look away. Now, that's me, your leader. Follow me. All right. You know, I tell you that. Stay humble. Just stay humble. Stay humble. No matter how much authority you think you have, look, God put you there, and you just stay humble. You have the same master, and his name is Jesus. So here's the point. Here's why I say all of that, because the gospel in you changes all of your relationships. Therefore, here's the point. When your identity is in Christ, whether you're on top of the heap or the bottom of the barrel, and we're going to be in both, right? just depends on where we are that day. We all, in Christ, have an opportunity to show honor, to wield influence, to practice integrity, and to display humility. So you just got to remember those four words, honor, influence, integrity, and then humility. You, you know why? Because you are not where you are on accident. Nobody in here believes that. We all believe that God has a purpose and a plan for our life. In the family that you're in, the school you attend or work at, the job that you have, the neighborhood you live in, the teams that you're on are not by accident. Um, Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount, like his most famous sermon, he said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, um, cities don't just accidentally happen, but, but, but city planners say, hey, this is where we're going to put a city. And in the same way, God's decided that he's placing you in your family, with your kids, at your school, in your, in your uh, employment, that you're, you're a city set on a hill and it can't be hidden. And nor do people light a lamp and they put it under a basket but they put it on a stand, and that light gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? Why, God? Why do I need to, to show honor? And why do I need to be a person of integrity? And why? Why, God? Why do I need to wield influence? And why do I need to stay humble? Here's why. So that. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So just imagine this. Imagine what if tomorrow, wherever you go, whether it's school or work or your neighborhood or wherever you go, what if tomorrow was completely different because of what God did in you today? And just imagine, just imagine that um, every 1122-er in Jacksonville, which really it's thousands upon thousands upon thousands, what if all of us, we didn't try to take back our city with some kind of mass media campaign or some kind of, none of that stuff. But if every single person that's a part of this movement at 1122, what if every single one of us went into our environments tomorrow at home, in our neighborhoods, in schools, at our workplaces, and we were just different? We began to understand that we're a light. 
And, and we're not to set that light and, and, and hide it under a bushel. Uh-uh. We're supposed to put that thing out and shine that light. And the way we acted at work and at home and in school was different tomorrow because of what God did in us. And you know what would begin to happen? I mean, honestly, imagine if just this week, every single one of us that were at church this weekend, if we did that, can you imagine what it would do to the city of Jacksonville? I believe it would begin to change the trajectory of our entire city. Not because we had some kind of take the city campaign. But just because the people that had already been taken by Jesus, that we just acted like it tomorrow at home and at school and at work. And I believe, I believe that you can do it because God has given you everything you need to do everything he has called you to do in the place that he has put you. So would you please stand and pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you demonstrated this. That you demonstrated this. Jesus, you honored your Father and you honored us by going to the cross. Jesus, you always leveraged your influence through your relationships. God, you were so humble that you died on a cross. And you were the man of integrity. You had one purpose. To make a way for broken people like us to know you. So God, I pray for every man, woman, and student in this place, regardless of their environment. Whether they're they're the boss of thousands or they're the entry-level position, that all of us would be different tomorrow because of what you're doing in us today. And God, that you could transform our whole city. Um, Not from the outside in. But just because those of us that love Jesus at this church started acting differently at work and in our neighborhoods and our schools tomorrow. And God, I pray that one day our light would shine so bright that people all around us, God, they would see humility and honor and integrity and influence. And they would give you the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, we respond to the gospel by singing. A bunch of you need to respond to the gospel by coming to the altar and praying that God will give you the power by His Holy Spirit in you to do tomorrow what you know today that you need to do. And so I'd like to invite you to come to the altar if that's what you need to do. And then for those of you that would call yourselves regulars here, um, if we, we respond by bringing our tithes and offerings. You can do that in the giving boxes around the side. You can do a giving kiosk back there. You can download the app. You can give online, however you need to do it. But all of us respond to the gospel. Let us respond.